Hi, this is Paul from Garter Harn. Uh, happy first birthday, Hellboy Book Club podcast. I guess this is your present. Hello, everyone. My name is John Salinas. I've been blessed with a great big podcast based on Hellboy. So get out your trades and floppies. Get out your hardback copies Digital prints is fine You can read along in time This is the greatest podcast This is the greatest podcast This is the greatest podcast Based on Hellboy I say all the things you might think it harbors. This is the greatest podcast. So get out your trades and floppies. Get out your hardback copies. Digital print is fine. You can read along in time. This is the greatest podcast. This is the greatest podcast. This is the greatest podcast based on Hellboy. And I'm Danielle. My side piece is John Salinas. I love his little podcast based on Hellboy. Get out your trades and floppies Get out your hardback copies Digital print is fine Read along in time This is the greatest podcast This is the greatest podcast This is the greatest podcast Based on Hellboy story we talk about it you hate them guys us and it's a book club get out trades and floppies get out hardback copies digital is fine read along in time get out trades and floppies get out Thank you so much, Paul from oh Gardaharn. This is so sweet. We've, we've been listening to it, and I still, every time I hear it, it's just, oh my God, it's so sweet. It's such a really great song. Yeah. I really can't believe it. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, I had to come in and cut this in because this episode was recorded directly after our last episode. Before I got Paul's song, I actually got this song while we were on vacation in Paris. And I'm not going to lie, it actually brought tears to my eyes. Yes. And then so when we got home, 
John was like, we got to put something in about this. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because that's just, it's very sweet. And I really wanted to share the song with everybody else yeah. so they could enjoy it also for our birthday episode. Yeah, how thoughtful. When I showed it to you, you said something that really resonated with me. Oh, yeah. This has become quite a community and it's become so important to so many people. Yeah. I think that's really special. Really, I do. Yeah, and it's, I want to say also that it's really, it's definitely helped with my well-being as well. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about this all a lot more when we're back together next week with Matt and Aubrey. Yeah. But I just wanted to express some love for that damn guy, Paul from Gardaharn. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, and that's it right there. We've made so many friends. Paul from Gardaharn. Yeah. He's writing these incredible songs. It's so touching. And, you know, Matt Strackbine and... He's yeah. drawing all these amazing drawings, and yeah. it's just, it's very special. When I got the song, I forwarded to Aubrey immediately. He was in what I imagined to be a very boring meeting at work, and I told him, you need to hear this ASAP. Yeah. The next text I got from him later said, holy shit, I just got a chance to listen to the song. Fucking tears of joy Aww. as I'm driving down Westheimer. I love it. So thank you so much, Paul. And you're a great songwriter. Yes. I'm not just saying that because you wrote a song about us. It's no, very been, catchy, too. We've been singing it all around the house. And so uh, John's going to say some more things. Back to you, John. Ah. Second thing I wanted to talk about is another raffle over at Mike Mignolo's Art on Facebook. I've been out of town, so this is the last week to enter. Hopefully you're listening to this episode soon because the cutoff date is August 3rd, 2019. You could win the new 25 Years Mignolo sketchbook or a Hellboy 25 Years of Covers signed by Mignola, or an amazing screw-on head pin from Skeleton Crew. Each ticket is only one dollar son so go to facebook find the group mike Mignolo's art on facebook join the group if you're not already on there and click on the announcements to find the details for the raffle all funds in excess of the prize cost will be donated to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting the First Amendment rights of the comics medium. Since 1986, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund has managed and paid for legal defense for individuals whose First Amendment rights are threatened for making, selling, or even reading comic books. So go throw a few bucks at the raffle, gang. Many, many thanks to Craig McKnight for putting on these awesome raffles. Thanks, Craig. Third thing I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of an odd pivot, but I felt that this was appropriate. This Abe Sapien series is pretty intense, and it deals with some subject matter that you might not want in your day-to-day. This story that we're discussing today has graphic self-harm elements, so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. We enjoy talking about the Mignolaverse every week, but self-harm is a very serious thing. If you or anyone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm, please get help. We love you damn guys so very much, and after our discussion, we felt that it was appropriate to issue a disclaimer. I know that's kind of a weird segue, but we just want all of you to have a good time listening to the podcast. Lastly, there was a nice outtake on this episode. I thought it was kind of cool, so I put it at the end if you want to listen to it. Just a cool little moment that was captured while I went for a pee break. Thanks again for a year of friendship and love. Can't wait to see what this next year will bring. Enjoy the show. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Lovelace. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. Hey, Matt, you're back again. 
Oh, yes. right. <laughs> we're actually recording this episode just after the last one aired, so we're banking episode because I'm going to be out of town, so I appreciate you guys sticking with us. We'll be back to our regular recording schedule next week. And so that's why we're not getting the hey damn guys. Well, no, I right actually, away. what I did that, yes, yeah. you're right, you're right. We are definitely behind on the listener feedback, so that'll be different. But I actually took some of the stuff from the last episode and put in this one so we could still have a section in there yeah i'm just saying if there's any new hey you damn guys is we haven't talked about it right now because it's in the future but it's in the past (laughs) (laughs) so we didn't didn't get to it yet because it doesn't exist yet but then by the time it has come out it will have existed but we didn't we can't go back in time and talk about it so but we will get to it we'll get to it and we'll do a whole super long hey you damn guys sure yes we will We'll have a mega-sized listener feedback. Yeah. Hey, you damn guys, drinking with skeletons, kill the black flame. We had a Hey, You Damn Guys from Jules Oliveros. He said, I was supposed to comment here after I listened to this a week ago. I'm almost caught up with reading. Anyway, I wanted to thank you for reading my feedback on the Fagredo episode. Hearing it was surreal, and it made my drive to work much more happier. Just some feedback on Return of the Master. You guys made a comment about being surprised that the Ogdra Jihad were being observed by Zinko in the cosmos. And at that time, I remembered a panel from the early Hellboy volumes, Conqueror Worm, where the blue aliens were also monitoring the Ogdra Jihad, which I presume they were doing it from space. So for me, it wasn't actually far-fetched that Zinko would have the capability to observe the Ogdra Jihad in space. Yeah, so the, I totally didn't make that connection. So if the aliens are already monitoring it, like they could be hacking into that or there's signal going there already. Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, okay. Anyway, I was driving along the expressway, so you guys can imagine how I wanted to comment at that time, but I couldn't. Yeah, uh-huh. so, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for waiting until you're done driving. Again, anyway, thanks again for keeping the community engaged by reading feedbacks and shout-outs. Yeah, so thanks That's always. That's the whole point. It's a book club. Of course. Yeah. The feedback is part of my one of my favorite parts of this it, whole it thing. It really has become a really special yeah. part of the show. Because I, I really, I really enjoy hearing what you guys say, and you make me think of things I no- normally wouldn't think about. Yeah. So... Thanks. Keep it coming, guys. Yeah, it's fun to be a book club. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that this is going to be our year episode. Yeah. This is One a year ago. Yeah, when this nice. episode comes out, I think it'll be a year. Yeah, so that's really special. And it feels weird because we're recording it. We're high-fiving. We, that's what we're, that sound oh, yeah. is. We're in the future, but in the past. <laughs> <laughs> we're high-fiving a lot. We're giving Matt a virtual high-five, too. Yeah, but thanks, everyone, for coming along for the year when we first started. I remember when me and Aubrey... We met at Rudyard's and we brought oh, our yeah. notebooks and we sat there and we made notes and we talked about what we wanted the show to be. And I was telling Aubrey about this whole listener feedback idea and I was like, hopefully people will write in. You know, and I think pretty much from the first episode, people came on board and started yeah. and started participating. So it's been really awesome. It's been amazing. So yeah, just keep doing that. Get your friends on board. Leave us reviews, all that stuff, and just keep growing the podcast bigger and bigger. I have some plans that I'm thinking about for this year, but we haven't gotten there yet. I don't want to like uh, no say, say things that potentially aren't going to happen, but I do have some ideas on on ways that I want to grow the podcast even bigger. Like you said, that's a special part of it because this is this is unique in that it's from the get go. It started out as being purely like a way for people to get together and discuss these books, right? So like, 
without that, it really is what is it? Just us three mooks getting together and talking about <laughs> talking about Hellboy. Like you know, what's I mean, that's it's fun and everything, but I you know I think that making sure that the whole point of it is to engage with everyone and yeah, make connections yeah. and really, I mean, look at how many friends we've made over this thing and how many observations we've come to internalize yeah. and, and overall a very enriching experience, I think. And so that's. That's the whole point. It's not a feature. It's the whole point, you know. No, I love that. The main illustration of that is our fourth guest that we have on yeah, here. Hey, yeah, hey, how about that? You know, Matt, I've been, you know, we, we've talked about this before. I won't gush too much, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your work, and your work is fan-oriented. You know, when you yeah. guys get to it, it's for the people like us that are obsessed with all these little details and making the connections and uh, obsessing over all the different um, titles and so I, that ties in so perfectly with what we're doing here and to get you to write in and then come on the show and then send us some of your art. Still can't believe it's, you it's, sent it's, us it's, these fucking it's, pages. It's, it's been no, amazing. Man, I mean, since the first <laughs> oh, yeah, time that, cool. yeah, the, the first time that you drew us or whatever, I was like, wow, this guy, you know, he worked on BPRD and now you're here so on the show cute. with us every week. And so I yeah. just think that th- this is, uh, you know, I never thought that when we started a year ago that we'd be talking to you and have you on the episodes and yeah. be coordinating. And it's just so awesome. So anyway, it's been great. Well, I, I appreciate all that. And I, it's just a real meta experience. You know? <laughs> it's very cool. And, and you got to love that these comics have inspired so much from the fans and the readers that you know here we are like keeping it alive keeping it going oh yeah yeah and my favorite part perhaps obviously about the comics is the reader engagement and so for you guys to embrace the listener engagement i think is just perfect well yeah you were one of the you were kind of doing the same thing with your letter hacking right back in the day right that's so awesome also shout out to wherever in the diverse cases because i know that he would definitely be enjoying all of this too. oh yeah i'm glad for you to bring up case yeah he would definitely be enjoying all this stuff yeah missy case his spirit stays alive and well with the podcast Mm -hmm. i can't believe it's been a year yeah, I mean, it really doesn't feel like a year. It doesn't feel like well, we've it read... hasn't been a year yet, but in uh, the future it will be. Oh, I mean, no, but I mean, we're actually past the point where we were at Rudyard's that time. Oh yeah, right, no, right. we are, we are. And yeah. you know, I mean, you know, we've read the first six library editions of Hellboy. Uh, yeah, what like ten fucking omnibus worth of fucking material. It doesn't even feel like that. It just feels like you know, this is this has been a wonderful ride. It's been yeah. it's fun. It says a lot about all the various artists and writers and everybody who's been working on all these different books for so long that, yeah. Yeah. that we could bring so many people together, you oh, know, yeah. in such a way. Like, I don't know if Jerry Turnbull ever saw himself doing what he's doing now right. or, you know, all the other regulars that write in or. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening to this for the first time. Maybe this is your first episode that you're listening to, you know, um, right. or whatever. You've missed out on a lot of stuff you should go back because we're kind of, I don't know if you could jump into the story no. right here. It's, you might be a little confused as to what's going on. Well, but I that's think that's interesting case. because some people did come on in different parts. Like one of the yeah, first things yeah, I read was yeah. Conquer Worm and, you know, and it, right. I was still able to enjoy it. But when I went back, I was, sure, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's been great. It's been an amazing journey doing this podcast. And so, yeah, looking forward to keeping it going strong. We had some more listener feedback from our Wasteland episode. Just like last time, I split up some of the feedback. 
Jason Abaddon said, I really think Campbell is right up there with Davis for monsters and dramatic horror. He said, I don't think Johan let the kid Lucas go on purpose. I think his attention was focused outward. We don't understand how he perceives things like pitch black night. It would only take a moment for the kid to be out of the firelight. That's a good point. Yeah. You know. He also said, regarding Lucas, this kind of blew it for me. Kids are not this dumb. In horror, there's always an exceptionally stupid child like this to overlook that Mama is a four-eyed, seven-foot-tall bat monster with long monkey arms. Yeah. I know it's a fictional plot device, but still. (laughs) I really love that comment, yeah. Yeah. There's this subreddit that I follow called Kids Are Fucking Stupid, and it's just about about kids. But it's about how kids do dangerous things. Yeah, they'll do things that will kill themselves. Right, right, right. They don't understand. Well, they have no concept of And it's a lot of, like, gifts of a lot of stuff like that being caught on video where people obviously save them at the last minute or somebody intervenes but sure. you know you know it's a wonder like I probably didn't die and I did a lot of stupid shit right everybody did yeah well that's a, a friend of ours is always telling us stories of like uh my kid almost pulled a freaking kitchen knife down on himself today we didn't right. even know yeah. where it came from or how he got it but like <laughs> you know we that we keep him up in the cabinet so high we don't know how where he got it from oh he was climbing up on top of the whatever today yeah. and so it's always uh Constantly running after the kid to make sure they don't accidentally right. cause yeah. their own death. So, yeah, I I guess it's not so much the kids are fucking stupid as much as it's <laughs> like they haven't had the chance to have enough experiences to where they've learned that, oh, this is going to kill me. Right. Like they don't right. have a concept even of like right. death. Right, yeah. Right? So it's, yeah. But yeah, that is very interesting and also terrifying. Yeah. And probably part of the reason why I do not have any kids. <laughs> And Jason Abaddon also said the horse with Johan is probably freaking out because he feels like a person but doesn't weigh anything. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But the, to the horse, it would just be the weight of the suit, really. Yeah, weird. But it would feel like a person is up there. Yeah. That horse would be like, <laughs> be like, man, I must be tripping. Yeah. G Gunga D on Instagram said, Wait, how did I miss Johan on a horse? I definitely need to reread these. (laughs) When I posted the action shots of Agent Howard's, De Sequoia said, probably the last time we see the character wearing sleeves, lol. Yeah, because from here on out, I think he's got his sleeves torn off. Wes Mattis said, I love Agent Howard's. Benny Decker said, keep up the good work. No more guest hosts, Matt Strackbine. We need hashtag permanent Strackbine. Ah, Awesome. Yeah, man. So let's just, we'll just plan to have you on. If you're available, you're going to be on the show. And if you're not, yeah. don't sweat it. But oh. yeah, we'd obviously cool. love to have you for sure. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun having you on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this is our year nice. episode. So yeah, hashtag permanent strike. But it just took one person to hashtag it and we did it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Wasteland felt the most hopeless story yet for the BPRD. I was worried that no one was going to make it. Comparing the story to Amazing Screw-On-Head gives a wonderful range of the zany and fun action versus bleak and suspenseful horror from the Mignolaverse. Yeah, and so when Mark Tweedell was helping me put together the, the reading list, one of the things that he said, he was like, and here's a bunch of other stuff that you can insert when it starts to get too depressing. <laughs> and so, so there's a bank of stuff that you can just put in whenever it, you, know, you need to switch up. <laughs> That's crazy. Speaking of Mark Tweedell, he said... Running Abe Sapien and BPRD Hell on Earth Parallel initially caused some scheduling cleverness. 
The order in the trades and omnibuses is intended to be the reading order, though. By the way, the original release order for A Cold Day in Hell and Wasteland was because A Cold Day in Hell set up Abe Sapien Dark and Terrible, and that needed to come out early enough for the next Abe arc. The new race of man would be done before Lake of Fire. And Ross Radke said, All the BPRD artists up until Campbell had a bit of cartoonishness that made the horror sort of wacky and fun, even at its most grotesque. When I got to this arc, the dramatic shift in style made it clear that the BPRD was going to go to some very dark places. I especially love when Campbell draws Heron's monster designs. Heron tends to be more outlandish. Then Campbell grounds them in terrifying realism. And it's always fun to see any artist get to do their take on Ogdraham, whether their own design or based on Mignola's. And so... Um, actually, we're talking about this. Lawrence Campbell actually shared our episode on Wasteland last oh, week. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. And he also said congratulations on 50 episodes. That's so nice. Yeah. So, yeah, that was really awesome that he so, listened to it. So, thank you. And he also commented on Ross Radke's post, and he said, thanks for the kind words. I miss these guys already. And so I have a controversial little comment here by Ross Radke that I wanted to read. Uh-oh. I wanted to kind of get your take on. He says... <laughs> I thought this was funny. He said, okay, bear with me because I realize people think he's cool, but what's the point of Ted Howard's? What does he bring to the team dynamic Boo. of the book? He struck me as a deus ex machina to slightly even the odds in the BPRD's favor. Yeah, so what'd you think of that comment? Boo. <laughs> Ted Howard's is the greatest. Okay, yeah, so he did kind of pop up as a deus ex machina, but I mean, seriously, it was fucking cool. what do you think of that of that comment matt on the one hand maybe he is sensing that like i don't know why i keep bringing this up but i've never gone back to try and find this quote or interview clip but i i really do remember them saying that it wasn't supposed to be a character that they were going to bring up over over, or they were going to keep using i think he was just gonna i don't know what would happen between the abyss of time and wasteland uh, right. Just give me to I mean, I think that that is definitely not the majority opinion. I think that there's a lot of people out there who would be like, are you kidding me? But maybe he is picking up on the fact that it wasn't always going to be the, well, no, the level the of Min- character that he is. The guy right. from Mignolaverse was also like, no one cares about Ted Howard. No one's excited about that guy. <laughs> and like I am. Yeah. I like that guy. Well, I, I think also... This is a, a strange time in the book, too, where, you know, I definitely noticed it as a reader, and I think I talked about this a little bit in our last episode, we're getting a more of a focus on the human characters. We had Enos, we've got Jeroko, we've got Nichols, and the only kind of powered person that we have on the team at this point was Johan, right? Yeah. And Panya. You know, Liz uh, was out of commission, yeah. and Abe's on the run, so I, see I almost saw, like... I see less as a deus ex machina and more of a interesting... Thing that happened right because in the grand scheme of things in the story a deus ex machina would be like and then all the monsters die at the end right, like everyone's yeah. okay and hellboy came back to life and killed everybody and it's fine right so like just having this guy show up in this one room to kill these dudes that are just kind of local to this area 
I don't know if it's so much a Deus Ex Machina, but even if it is, it's fine. Shut up, I love it. So, <laughs> well, okay. I mean, it it it, it kind of is because it's like he showed up and saved their bacon. I know it is, but I agree, it it's, is so good. I love it. I, well, I enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> here, 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 here's my take on it: is so much bad stuff hand, happens randomly Thank you in this so universe. Much horrible shit. There's so many horrible Can stuff that's just happening. Can we have this one happening. thing that's good? It's got to be odds that eventually <laughs> something is going to happen that's going to actually help our guys out. Like, it's only in the odds that, okay, you've got Zinko with Project Ragnarok. You've got the vampire thing and the fungus thing combining. You've got all this weird stuff with the frogs and the underground people in Hollow Earth to, with the machines. This is to and, balance out Roger. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Also, uh, okay, we hadn't met him earlier in Abyss of Time. If he was just some random agent who just happened to wake up and just start slaughtering, he would be way more Deus Ex Machina. This time, right, we have right. a little bit more. And he's like, "Hi, I'm Ted Howard. I'm from the past and the future." Also, and and it's like <laughs> kind of like, "Oh, okay, that's came out of nowhere." But yeah, they set it up. Yeah, they, I mean, we got his whole story. He like touched the thing, went to he went to become Galdinar, so we know he knows what he's doing, right. and he just happens to wake up yeah i mean at the perfect time when it is and you're right it is time that our guys gotta win (laughs) (laughs) and it's like because for me the reveal of like oh it's that room oh it's the thing what like i i guess i'm a huge mark (laughs) let's be real i'm a huge mark and i'm that plebeian crowd that gets very excited about very simple things like that so no but i i don't think you're far away from the from the regular fan base because like matt said abyss of time was huge when that came out that that two issue arc hit me over the head like i was just like what is this and i want more of it right now and all the rest of the fans did that too i'm also a very professor professor o'donnell right Oh, it's all connected. Time is an illusion. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Like I, so you, you, know you, what you I mean? tie so into that concept I'm, right away. I'm such a huge mark for shit like that. Oh, yeah. Like, I get it. Oh, Deus Ex Machina. Oh, it sucks. Sometimes it's all right, though. Like, yeah. sometimes I'm okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it. it's just, I just think of it as like another storytelling device. It could be done yeah. good. It could be done bad. We've had the reverse of that, though, so many times. Yeah. yeah. The dark twist, you know, how many of those can we endure? Exactly. Give us one. Exactly. And uh, last little bit of feedback here, and then we'll have a mega-sized feedback later. At Rev Andy Carlson said, Lawrence Campbell, goddamn. Yeah, yeah, so I thought that was a yeah. good sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, especially, especially yeah. I was waiting for there to be more, but there doesn't need no, to be more. No, that's, that's it. Fine. That's it. Yeah. Especially with all that Ted Howard stuff that he did. Yeah. All right, and now we're going to get to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Abe Sapien, The New Race of Man. This is a two-issue arc published in July 2013. The New Race of Man was a story John Arcudi had been wanting to tell for a long time. This is according to the Hellboy Wiki, but he felt unable to do it properly in the pages of BPRD. Written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Max Fumara. So now we're back on uh, Max Fumara doing the art, and we've enjoyed him in some of the BPRD 1940s series and also the transformation of J.H. O'Donnell. I don't know why this ran through my head when I was like, oh, it's, you know, the brothers. And all of a sudden, the Mario, Super Mario uh, show theme song, we're hooked on the brothers. Oh, man. <laughs> it started running through my head. It's because... And now it's running through your heads. Television television and the internet has broken our brains, fundamentally broken them. (laughs) 
Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. So I really like this opening. We pick up right... Uh, you really like this opening? Because I really fucking hate it. Well, I, we pick up right from the events of Dark and Terrible, right? Yeah, but so, it's yeah. so we saw Vaughn getting killed, and then it picks up right there. But we see Vaughn waking up. So it's kind of, it almost reminds me like of a TV show where you like it opens up and you're like, whoa, this guy's supposed to be dead. What's going on? Like, oh, yeah, I like no, that. I get well, all I mean, that. I get, I get that. But what's with yeah. the, the, the crazy salamander coming not, out of his yeah. monster? I was gonna, I was gonna say just a weird thing, but you said salamander. It, remember, we've seen Gustav Strobel. He's got those salamanders around him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. You jogged my memory there, yeah. Aubrey. Thanks. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Isn't it cool that this comic is day to day? Yeah. Right. Have they skipped a day so far? Do you know oh, what I mean? It's like this like is it. this is the the evening from the last comic. Oh yeah, yeah. The last issue. They pulled like, up in the carriage and they got him and then this is, yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, when Abe was at the church, he woke up like the next morning. Right, yeah. Then And then the battle, and in my mind, this is the same day. Yeah, no, you're right, it's so, that evening. I'm not saying it's not excellent storytelling, because it is. And opening up on some action that you're like, whoa, what's going on? That's always super good. It's just, it's yeah. horrifying. It's horrific. Yeah. So the artist did a wonderful job of creeping me the fuck out. <laughs> and so one thing I thought was interesting, when you look at the sketchbook, Max Fumar is talking about this panel where we flashback and seeing Vaughn getting killed again. And he talks about that he started working on this issue before his brother started working on Dark and Terrible and got to that page. So he actually got to draw this first. And then oh. Sebastian had to draw it like him for his issue. <laughs> That's a, I wonder if that's a brother thing. Like, I'm going to get to this first, and now you got to draw like I did. Oh, I bet, I bet there really was something like that. Uh, I hope there was. <laughs> we get this messed up hole in Vaughn's chest, and like Aubrey said, a salam, this weird salamander pokes its head out. And then he f- somehow falls from the carriage. I took it as that they threw him out of the carriage. Like, they're like... That happened, and they're like... Yeah, right. They chucked him out. Oh, okay, right. Because they don't know what he's going to do, I guess. I think they just don't uh, give a shit. I, yeah. think that they, I think he healed him. Yeah, in a weird way because like you see, like when uh, it's popping out, it's like rippling, and then he hands him his glasses and sends him on his way. It's almost like he came back to life and fell out. Yeah, yeah, maybe he was just jarred by that experience. But either way, he falls out of the carriage, and they stop and they come over to talk to him. I thought I died, Vaughn says. You did, Strobel responds. The vagaries of resurrection denied Willis the power of speech. I guess Willis is that other creepy dude that we saw him with earlier. I made sure you didn't suffer the same shortcoming. I am Gustav Strobel. I've given you this new life, soldier. You will repay me by telling me everything you know about the fish man. Another rebirth? Another resurrection? It's very unnatural. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So weird. And... Strobel is kind of like, um, this is another character that we've kind of seen brewing, you know, they've talked about him here and there, but now we kind of get a sense that he's going to, you know, be a big part of the story now. We cut to California, and Abe's got this radio, and he's listening to it, and this gives us more insight into the world. They talk about how they're not going to be playing songs anymore, you know, the world's changing, and they're talking about everything that's happening. Uh, I noticed that one of the... The host is Ira, right? So I was wondering if that's a connection to like Ira Glass. He's he does uh, This American Life, which is a popular yeah. radio show. You know Ooh, what I mean? That's and what I thought. Yeah. yeah, 
And it's just some beautiful work by Max Fumara as Abe washes his face in the water while we're getting all this information from the radio. I like when we get an impression of just how super weird Abe looks now. Yeah. I like the new design. It reminds me of mannerism. Do you know what that is? It's kind of like mannerist painters, they would paint people a little bit exaggerated and elongated. And that's what this kind of reminds me of. So then as Abe is in the stream, he gets confronted by a wolf. It comes up to him. And so while the wolf and him are having like this stare down, you know, the radio is saying all this stuff that kind of goes along with it perfectly. It's saying, watch the strong among us because it's Darwinism, isn't it? The simple adaptation. They'll see it before the rest of us. They didn't get up there on top by being stupid. They'll figure it out. See what they do and then follow suit. Do that. Who knows? You just might make it. Now the next question is, where is the right place to make it? And so as this is going on, you know, Abe, he reaches over for this giant stone. But then the wolf backs off and goes back into the woods. Really, It's a coyote or something. Oh, okay. But just the mood setting of this scene is already like, we talked about how this title's got its own kind of spin on things. And it's more of kind of like this, I feel it's like more of this slow... Yeah, yeah, that that's a great way to describe it. Intimate, it's it's very kind of slow paced. We talked about this before where it's more like um the art is doing a lot more of the storytelling, taking its time with things. Next we cut over to the Salton Sea and we get Abe's modern discreet outfit, which is so fucking killer. Yeah. I love this, right? <laughs> where he's got like the hoodie pulled over and he's got the radio. It looks so cool. Abe tries to get a frequency on his radio, but he can't. And this man comes over. I think we learn later that his name is Bob. And he starts talking to Abe. He tells Abe that these end times were made for scavengers. Still doing what they do. We see all these coyotes or wolves or whatever. And they're eating the remains of one of these eggs. That's kind of an interesting way to bring us into this scene too. I didn't even talk about it. But one of these eggs is cracked, right? So we saw the salt and sea monster laid all these eggs. But we haven't seen what happened to them. And here we see that clearly... One's opened for some reason. It probably hatched, or and then they're eating the remains of it, and I'm just like, this is going to be fucking horrible. Right, it's setting us up, right? And so when the guy's like, scavenger is still doing what they do, it made me think of those homeless people in the other story that we're talking about, how things haven't changed for them. Oh, right, It's kind of like yeah. that same theme that we saw yeah. in that story, which I like. The man says, uh, since the monster came up, there's been no radio signal in the area gone now and a lot of folks followed her but she still left that little gift for us who stayed no reception i mean that and a few eggs though i hear she's squeezing out a lot more down off san diego here we get this idea that their people are following this thing too yeah people are following the salt and sea monster and kind of seeing where it's going to go so i think we had talked about this on a previous episode that people would be worshiping these things or camped out around it oh when we saw the salt and sea monster in one of those stories king of fear yeah there were like people with their lawn chairs around it and stuff like that i find it very fascinating that it uh interrupts the radio waves because radio waves are just light you know right and yeah. so i'm like what is it oh i don't know my brain went crazy after i read that last yeah, night yeah <laughs> that's a really interesting implication or it might be somehow emitting a frequency that is offsetting yeah or just kind of because like interfering with it like an interference yeah, pattern like, oh, yeah because like yeah. waves will um you know they can Make cancel each other around patterns, yeah. yeah but okay so that's even, okay that's fucking interesting too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird like you said it's just a weird idea to think about yeah 
And so he points over to the one egg that's still intact. He said, this one's enough to bring a whole new crowd of crazies to pray to it. And we see people's tents around it and stuff like that. No offense if you're a believer of that stuff, he says. And Abe says, I don't know. It depends on what you mean by believe. I guess it's like Hemingway said. I know now that there is no one thing that is true. It is all true. And so guess what this quote is from? Hemingway. Yeah, but what what Hemingway book? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I didn't say. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Oh. And so every time we get that phrase that Rasputin told Abe, it starts off with that. So, yeah, I like that little connection there. The novel For Whom the Bell Tolls graphically describes the brutality of the Civil War in Spain during this time. It is told primarily throughout the thoughts and experiences of the protagonist, Robert Jordan. It draws on Hemingway's own experiences in the Spanish Civil War as a reporter for the North American Newspaper Alliance. And I like the guy's reaction to the quote. He just goes, huh, okay, maybe I'll see you around. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Abe's trying to drop some, you know, some very thought-provoking ideas. And this guy just (laughs) made me laugh when I was reading it. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) Let's be honest, though. I mean, like, you know, there's been a lot of, lately, there have been a lot of pretentious people who go, well, as Hemingway would say. Oh, right. And you just immediately just tune right the fuck out. You're just like, vroom. Oh, okay, dude, whatever. <laughs> he talked about he's been seeing all these new crazies, so maybe he thinks Abe is just like... I yeah. Know, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it's great, though. And as Abe walks off, we see those coyotes, wolves, or whatever, still chomping on the remains in that cracked Ogdruham egg. That cannot be good. No, that is... That's like when you... What do they What do they call it when you introduce a, a gun into a scene? Oh, foreshadowing? There's a... If there's a gun in the first act, it's got to be used in the third. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, yeah, that's what this made me think of. Oh, yeah. Here's, I, th- I think this is the interesting part that John Arcudi was trying to work in was the perspective of these three people. We're introduced to these two young men and a young woman. The woman is Judy, and then the one tall guy is Gene, and then the blonde-haired one is Barry. And we get the sense right away that this one dude, Gene, he's probably like her boyfriend. And then Barry is like the third wheel or something. He says Judy's mom wanted him to watch out for her. There's this one. Okay. The kid, Barry, uh, up until a point, reminded me of... You remember the movie Better Off Dead? Oh, John Cusack? Yeah. And then there was the girl, the French girl, and then the girl, the guy, Ricky, (laughs) who was up following the French girl around. Yeah, yeah. That's who this guy reminded me of. (laughs) To a point. Right. There's a point where I'm like, that's fucking Ricky. And then all of a sudden I turn the page and I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Maybe they took some inspiration off that character. And so Judy, she sees Abe in the hoodie over by his own fire. So eventually these three, they go to bed. Abe can see them in their sleeping bags. And so he gets up and he goes over to the water. He takes off his hoodie. And so I've talked a little bit about the Salton Sea before when the monster made its first appearance in King of Fear. But some other facts, because Abe talks about how salty it is. Over millions of years, the Colorado River has flowed into the Imperial Valley and deposited soil, creating fertile farmland and building up the terrain and constantly changing the course of the river. For thousands of years, the river has alternately flowed into and out of the valley, alternately creating a freshwater lake. The lake's salinity, about 56 grams per liter, is greater than that of the Pacific Ocean, but less than that of the Great Salt Lake. Recently, the concentration has been increasing at a rate about 3% a year. 
about 4 million short tons of salt are deposited into the valley every year. And Abe talks about the water is so salty it burns his skin. But he says it's still water. So, like, he needs to be in the water regularly, right? We've seen that, like, he would take a tank with him when they'd go to, like, hotels or sleep in the tub or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, like, the Salton Sea also, like, really polluted? Or am I just thinking of a different, like... I don't really know. I, I don't I'll, know. I'll look that up. Here, it's a it's full of a bunch of dead fish. Well, I mean, it had the monster in it, so, yeah. Right. But, I mean... Abe wonders if this is the right place to make it. And Judy sees him. You know, I guess she woke up or whatever. And so she runs over. She's like, I seen you on the TV. You look a lot different, but those marks on your face. You're the guy from the UN. She brings over the attention of everybody. So now they're all there and they start talking to Abe. Uh, I like how he's putting his pants back on. He's like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) You get all modest on him. (laughs) Right. And this one dude, Gene, he's like, bitchin'. And this guy is real kind of like, kind of like a hippie dude. I get like a very, like when I read him in my head, like I imagine him being like, like Bill and Ted or whatever, you know what I I was thinking like 90s slacker kind of guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Bill and Ted also work on that too. Well, that's more of a surfer. Yeah. Oh, surfer. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 And Abe's like, look, I didn't really come here to, to draw any attention. And then Barry is super defensive to begin with. He's like, so why did you come here? And he's kind of squares off against Abe. Hey, why don't you leave me the fuck alone, Jackwad? Abe says he's not part of... (laughs) So they go over, and so this is kind of cool. You know, these people, they give him some food. Abe's like, oh, you know, I haven't eaten since yesterday. And he also says that it feels good to not be seen as a curiosity. And then I guess here's where I got that surfer vibe. because He's like, hey, man, what's a curiosity anymore? Yeah, God's coming to Earth, volcanoes in Kansas, I heard. People mutating all over the country. But that's normal now. And you, I've seen you before. I mean, you're part of the government. You're like an old friend to me and Judy. That that guy kind of gives me a hippie vibe, too. He's like, just because I've seen you on TV, you're an old friend. It's like, what? (laughs) Well, and he also seems like he's susceptible to kind of maybe that conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to see that they're definitely those kinds of people. Just at this point in the story, even, because they're those... That guy was here earlier, and he was like, oh, these weirdos are camped out around this thing, worshipping it or whatever. And then it's these people. Sure, yeah. He's like drawing this thing in the sand, and it's just all very, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. They show them drawing all those symbols. And um, I saw you, Aubrey, focusing on this page where they're sitting, on the, where they're sitting around the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a beautiful work, again, by Dave Stewart. We, we talk about that on every episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great panel. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And as this guy's talking, we get nice flashbacks to the volcanoes and all the monsters and people turning into monsters as Gene is talking. Abe says he's not part of anything, not anymore. So, what are you doing down here, Barry says. Why aren't you down in San Diego with your mother? Talking about the Salton Sea monster. What is this guy's problem? He's a fucking... He's a Ricky. But Abe, you know, he's calm through all this. He says, you know, I'm used to that kind of attitude. You look at me and think that I fit right in with what's going on now. But I told you I'm not part of anything. It's all alien to me and I've been trying to understand it myself. I got to thinking about the creature that laid that egg. It had been sitting in the Salton Sea for over a year before any of this started, so I came here to see what kind of impact it had on the environment, the wildlife, the people. I wondered if maybe the way the Salton Sea is now could show me where we're all headed, if that makes any sense. Abe is working. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like, he, he's still dedicated. 
He's got his own mission. He's got his own kind of agenda that he's looking at, trying to figure out another way that the BPRD could be useful here. And I like how we get this symbol that they're drawing in the sand. So it's kind of like, it looks like a traditional Jesus fish kind of thing, but they've drawn those lines on it. So now it kind of looks like Abe's head yeah. instead of that. Is somebody going to make a religion around Abe? <laughs> yeah. So, and we, we talked about that too, I think on a previous episode, you know, how people would make up their own new religions around this kind of stuff. And yeah. so I think this is really interesting earlier when we saw them drawing in the sand they were drawing other religious symbols and so now they're drawing this one too and so there's some great stuff in the sketchbook about it we can talk about it when we get to the end but Mignola did a a different design for this but Scott Alley says when Fumara came up with this one they knew that that was the that was the one they wanted to go with oh that's cool yeah, and so after Abe makes that little speech, this one dude, Jeannie's like, hear that, baby? He's looking for answers just like us. He's just another pilgrim. And Abe's like, well, I don't know about a pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, why don't you fucking cool it? Yeah, he's he's more like a detective. He's not on a pilgrimage, dude. <laughs> yeah. I almost think like treating Abe this way is like asking a punk rock musician for an autograph right right, right yeah <laughs> they're like you just get the fuck out of here with exactly that. that's a great that's a great comparison gene yeah. says that one of the eggs cracked and the creature from it went out into the water and so we see a little flashback of this and then we see this like fish looking ogdru hem thing in the water judy thinks it'll be like the ashvins and so the ashvins are two twin brothers of hindu mythology sons of the sun god surya they may also be referred to as the horsemen, and they are forever young, handsome, and athletic. They are considered the physicians of the gods. Gene says they'll rule together. So that is he's making that comparison there, and Barry just says, that's a lot of bull. He's not having any of this stuff. And so Abe is like, you're obviously no pilgrim, Barry. Why are you here? What it be to you, he says. And so Gene tells him that Barry just followed Judy down there. And we kind of get their backstory, too. I I think this is kind of interesting. We get another look at how society is reacting to all of this. And we get all these little sprinkles of details that I really like. Similar to Wasteland, they help flesh out the world. And so they worked at like a warehouse store called Cost Cutters. (laughs) And we see Barry with his uh, box cutter there opening a box. We see Gene and Judy talking about all the crazy stuff that's happening. They're like, oh, pretty wild. They're watching the Salton Sea monster at the end of... The Zinko, A Better World poster. Oh, there it is again. Yeah, great. Thank you for pointing that out. Awesome. It's kind of like how Amazon owns Whole Foods. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so... You know how uh, right here where he says, Jeannie's asking Judy if she wants to lift home? She's like, sure. And then Barry's back there. Judy, your mother killed me if I let you on that thing. This is where right. I, I thought of Ricky from freaking Better Off to oh, Okay, yeah, exactly. But I do like this uh, idea. I'm very that- much Daddy has a British accent, though. <laughs> I, I, I can't do the accents at all. It's probably more like a like a... I was trying to be all more snooty. Right. Oh, but he's not a snooty dude. He's like well, slangy, isn't he? I don't know. I mean, he's probably very 90s, but it was just the way I, <laughs> it, it's 90s. the um, the way the character said he's spoken better off dead. Right. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. I do like this idea, though, of you talking about how Amazon owns Whole Foods. Yeah. Like, Zinko oh, probably owns, because if they have that poster up in there, Zinko probably owns a that ton means of shit. that, because they can't have just regular posters. No, why they would anyone just put up a Zinko poster? Exactly. Yeah. So it has to be associated with the business. That is such a good point. 
in the flashback, Gene also talks about when they saw what happened at the end of Return of the Masters. So the salt and sea monster got up and it laid all the eggs and it started marching towards the coast. And so Gene is like, when things really started getting wild, we knew what we had to do. And Judy's like, let's go. What in the fuck are you talking about? I would just make sure I had enough, like, suicide pills. (laughs) Yeah, but you're rational. Right. These guys are like, we're going to go worship this thing. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, we're going to quit our jobs. And so we see that they have some crazy adventures as they head down there. I kind of like this page. We see them on the motorcycle and they're like shooting monsters and Barry's like running over people or whatever. The monster people. I I joke about it, you know, because I know that we're all... You know, we're all friends and and stuff like that. And so I don't necessarily think about that all the time. Sure. That's okay. I took it as like a spy thing. Yeah. (laughs) Like I, I personally, if I, and this is just me and I know that a lot of people are sensitive to it because they're going through a time where they might currently be having suicidal thoughts or something. But I personally, like if a fucking atom bomb goes off and I get radiation poisoning or if monsters crawl up out of the fucking ground. I wouldn't want to try and survive the apocalypse. I'm not doing the road. I'm not doing that. But look how many cool adventures they have on their motorcycle. On the road. <laughs> Did you read <laughs> the road? Man, I'm not doing the road. I have thing. read that book. Yeah, that is... I'm not going to do that. I don't have the wherewithal or the strength to go through that. <laughs> and I'm, I don't want to. That's probably the bleakest thing I've ever read. Yeah. I think embracing this world is pretty suicidal. Right. Yeah. In of itself. Yeah. And as Gene is talking, he talks about how... Barry's just there to save Judy. and But she says, I don't need saving. This is my salvation. And Abe's like, really? Because what you just described, that didn't sound safe to me. <laughs> and so Gene is like, oh, you ever read the Bible, man? You know, there's some messed up stuff in there. I'm here for enlightenment, he says. No, dude. No. Like, <laughs> Sorry. All right, all right, man. No. <laughs> Abe says, you have your way of looking at things, but what can I say? These creatures you're talking about aren't gods to me. And so uh, Barry says, why is that? That sounds like some Nine Inch Nails lyrics. Right. Sorry. You your own god? And Abe's like, that's not what I said. I don't know any more than you do or your friends here. In fact, I'm a little worried about your friends, just like you. So I I like that little line where he says to Barry, because Barry obviously doesn't think that any of this is right, that they're believing. He said that that was bull earlier. So Abe's like, I'm kind of on, I'm kind of on your side about this. Yeah, he's trying to be like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sincerely worried about people in general and especially your friends. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like you. Right. I, I'm concerned about him too, but he's not having it. Yeah. And so he says that he thanks him for the food. He says that he needs the water. He needs to go get in the water. And they're like, can we see you tomorrow? And he says, if I'm still here. And so at this point, Barry starts to go off on Abe. And he says that he's acting like he's just like them. But he's a goddamn monster. He starts saying all this stuff. And so Abe's like, that's enough. And he goes, I'll show you enough. And he comes at Abe with a box cutter. And Abe just grabs him by the neck. And he picks him up. And I love this panel where he picks him up. Like, he's all ripped and, you know, strong. And it's so cool. Such a great image. And he just says, Barry, I don't want to hurt you. And then Barry slices Abe in the arm with a box cutter. And the panel is all red as he does that. And Abe just throws him aside. 
I like how he's just so calm about it too. He's like Barry, I don't want to hurt you. Right. Yeah. You know, there's no like he's not yelling or screaming because you can tell from the from the word bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as soon as he throws Barry aside, Judy comes over and she tries to attend to Abe and. Barry's like, stay away, that's the serpent. And she goes, shut up, shut up and go home. I don't want you here anymore, you psycho. And he's like, but, but. And so she just yells at him to go home, and then Jean jumps on in as well. So then Barry just walks off. And she apologizes to Abe. They wrap his arm up in a bandage. And Abe says he really needs to get down into the water. And they're like, we'll change the bandage tomorrow. And he's like, I don't think so. And he's like, I think I just better move on. So at first he said that they could hang out the next day. So she's all upset by this. And so Gina says, you know, that's all right. Um, It's time for you to go. Safe journey. And so they leave off. And Abe goes and he gets in the water. I love the inner monologue here. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. Abe thinks the water burns, but it feels good too. I wanted to see the future, and that's what I found, that everything still comes at a price, and that people still do bad things and good things. Maybe that really is the future. Maybe there is no great revelation here or anywhere else. Maybe there are no surprises. Yeah, really beautiful panel work also here by Fumara. Abe looks up at the stars as he's saying all this. And we also see when he says maybe there are no surprises, we see the box cutter from Barry. I really do like the inner monologue there, too. That's a great scene. It's just part of what makes this series more intimate. Yeah. We cut to morning and we see gulls and all these people around something. And we reveal that it's Barry, right? And it's really graphic and horrible. And I feel like we're made to think like, oh, did he get in a scuffle with Abe? And Right, yeah, because of the yeah. way that last panel was as Abe was walking off. Yeah, you're right. It set us up for like, what's going to happen next? Well, his, his throat is slit, so did he slit his own throat or did somebody else slit it? Right, and then he's all torn up too, and so the gulls are all feeding on him. It's really gross. I mean, it starts out like beautiful and peaceful looking at the water and birds and the closer you get the more horrible it is that's right and so gene runs over he starts to like disperse the crowd he tells them to show some respect it's barry and so this is so fucked up after we know what really happened this scene is so shitty as he tries to tell everybody like that he this is my friend and all this kind of stuff well i think it just you know means that yeah he didn't really like the guy but he didn't want him dead Right, right. Yeah. But he's lying to them. He's yeah, lying no, to I them. mean, yeah, he's definitely going for playing the sympathy he's card. Saying, he's saying show some respect after he just did something really super graphic and disrespectful. And, to he, told him, and he told him to fuck off. That's true. And he did that before he, anyway, Yeah, we'll get to all of it. But he's got the box cutter still in his hand. And so they're like, oh, it looks like he put up with a fight with whatever, you know, did this to him. And so this one guy that's been there, immediately he's like, but I didn't hear any fight. So I thought that was a telling line. And so Abe walks up right around this time to the crowd, and Gene's like, oh, we were looking for you. Did Barry cut you again like last night? And Abe's like, what? No. And so Abe comes across this dead body. He's like, my God. And they're like, so you didn't know? And he's like, of course I didn't know. And the other people kind of talk about him, too. They're like, oh, this one can talk. He's more developed or whatever. Abe asks if anyone has notified the sheriff's department. And they say there's not a cop for 100 miles. You're all we got, Gene says. Which is another telling line. He's manipulating this whole thing right here when he says that. We cut over to Judy. 
and she's talking to that older guy, Bob. She tells him that it's all her fault Barry died. The old guy says, I don't believe that. It's just a crueler world now. Nobody can stop that. Over with Barry's body, they've covered it with a sheet now. And Jean talks to the other people, and they start talking about how this is karma. Barry attacked Abe and then got killed. Jean tells them that Abe would make a good leader. And so, again, you know, there's a twist coming here, but, you know, Jean is kind of steering this conversation to go a certain way. Judy says there was a big slug, but it's gone now. And so as she's talking about that there was this big slug, she's just looking down and she's not looking at anybody because she's because she's obviously lying. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? But I, when you go back and you really look at the panels after you've read it once, you kind of see all these little signs along the way, which I really like. Abe says that he believes Judy and he's sorry he didn't take them more seriously. And this one guy, again, there's this other guy. And he's like, I've never seen anything like that. And so he says that Abe shouldn't blame himself. Abe talks to Judy, and she tells him that she's having second thoughts about the stuff that she said the previous night, about gods being in the eggs and salvation being there in the Salton Sea. And Abe can sense another motive from Jean as well. He tells Judy that he's worried about what he's telling them about him. Abe says he'll see what he can find out, and so he just starts running towards the beach. He just takes off fucking running. Yeah, he like goes right through the crowd. And so he's got a mission now. The movement is so well illustrated. Yeah, I really like that. In the water, Abe thinks to himself that he's glad to be back in there. I'm the same. I am what I've always been, like the sea. Always the same. Even this sea. I've never been here before, and yet it's all so familiar. And so I wanted to talk about this next page. You know, Abe is diving under there, and then we get this amazing page. Just incredible. And it's and the color by Dave Stewart is such a sharp contrast from what we've seen so far. What did you guys think about this page? This is an amazing page. The art is incredible. I stared at it for a super long time. Yeah. yeah I love the detail. I mean, every time you zoom in on Abe, there's all kinds of detail on his skin and everything. But then... Yeah underwater i don't know it just feels like like this guy's he it's the illustration is really tight but there's something abstract about it yeah and i think like when you see abe dive in and then he's swimming upside down i think it just feels really natural yeah yeah i yeah. love this giant the doorway here right and so we saw the him colors. go down towards that thing yeah the colors are fucking it makes me wonder i mean is abe the pod he found and it's some sort of circular thing right yeah. that's what this yeah. is because this is what happens right he turns into the little thing that the jellyfish came out of he like curls up into like a fetal position and then he's the rock and then we see call come and discover it and so like uh, what does that mean he, to you is he just thinking about it right because he, he's bandaged i mean is he just imagining like i i think he's constantly in some sort of weird dream state Right. Yeah. I think it's a after effect of being in that tank for so long. Okay. This is kind of maybe the stuff that he was thinking about. Yeah, or he's just not like remember how I said they had an opportunity to keep Abe like real foggy or yeah. maybe he didn't remember everything perfectly, but he does. So I I think maybe this is their way of portraying that he's got some residual yes. messiness. But it it also really drives home the fact that what kind of reincarnation is this? Yeah, yeah. Like how? Where did he 
come from? It's the weirdest thing how it transpired. I don't even know how they conceived it. Right. Because it doesn't make sense. So coming <laughs> coming up with stuff intentionally that doesn't make sense seems really challenging. <laughs> And as Abe is underwater, he's, you know, having these weird flashback dream visions. But he also comes across this crazy Ogdruhem underwater. This thing is massive. And it's just like a big pile of just mass or whatever. I don't even know how you would describe it. It's like a fleshy mound that's split open with some tears and then these tentacles just coming out of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this this thing is, well, part of it looks like, like right like right there that kind of looks like a face oh yeah yeah it kind of does look like that yeah but of course it's probably just pattern recognition yeah (laughs) (laughs) and we cut back to the land and here they're all arguing about barry's funeral gene says a cross doesn't belong there because they don't worship that anymore but judy says it's what barry believes so just bow your head and shut up and so we get this panel of them just all kind of giving a moment of silence for barry Back underwater, Abe inspects the dead Ogdruhem. It's been dead, like everything that stays in the water for too long, he thinks. The New World can't change that. It can change death. Or murder. And so, you know, this is the detective part of Abe, you know, he's figuring this out. And when he comes back up, he immediately confronts Gene. What did happen to Barry? And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, I didn't kill Barry. And it wasn't your sea god either, was it? And Judy starts crying and she says no. Just then we see those wolves. They're eating. They're all like gross and monster fight. So this is that loaded gun that we saw earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And they're tearing up where they just buried Barry. They didn't dig down deep enough. Yeah. And this old guy, Bob, comes over and tries to break it up. And so the wolves, you know, they start turning on him too. And so this guy, Bob, he says that those wolves things, you know, they must have been the thing that killed Barry. But Judy says they didn't. And she falls to her knees. And Jean's like, Judy, shut up. And she's like, no, they're going to know what you did, what we did. Last night after you left, I felt bad about what Barry did and what I said. I thought we should be looking for him, Judy says. And so we flash back to the previous night. And, you know, this is where we see that Barry killed himself, right? He, like, slit his own throat with the box cutter. Yeah. Which I don't even know how you would go about doing that. Yeah. uh, Oh, that just, no. But, and and so, this is is an awful revelation and and depiction here. But when they were, when Judy was going to reveal what they did, I thought they were going to say that they killed him. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah, so did I. You know know what I mean? I I thought that, so I'm glad. Almost worse. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is almost worse, right? Because what we're going to see, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, this guy, fucking Gene, so he, like, cuts open Barry, and then he takes his heart out? Is that his heart? Oh, yeah, he, and he, he cut he, his heart out. And he gives it to those wolves, and he gets them all started on eating him. So that's just so fucked up. And he tells Judy, we need this to mean something. Gene had this plan to cover up Barry's suicide, a plan to make people wake up around here, he said. They would see the world is cruel, but it still had order and purpose and justice. Yeah, so this is so fucked up, you know, how he manipulated this thing. And it's like, it made me feel bad because I was all like, you know, thinking this guy's kind of just, you know, I didn't like the guy. Oh, yeah. But I didn't want him dead. Exactly. And I I definitely didn't want him to commit suicide. Right, or be Uh mutilated further. 
And yeah, this is some incredibly dark stuff. I don't should I've done like a content warning before? I guess I never do a content warning, but in in this series, yeah, in in this series, and as we go along, I think kind of Matt maybe knows what I'm talking about, but there is some there is some stuff that you know the series gets dark into yeah. some subject matter that is very human and very um you could maybe go back and, and put in a recording like hey just a quick heads up before yeah, we start this episode just because uh some, yeah. we're gonna get some heavy some heavy stuff there's in, some self-harm in this series w- w- would you agree with that matt i would um i think that they do not hold back yeah in, in abe sapien and it's graphic it, it really yeah. is, and some of the subject matter is very like you know you might not want that in your day today. Yeah, yeah, like it all started off with Justin Bieber, and what's more alarming than that? Gene <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, "All right, look, man, you were going to leave, and you were just going to leave us alone, and we need you. I wanted people to know you were here to feel the power you have. I wanted you to feel it." And Abe's like, I don't have any goddamn power, you sick bastard, and Lion won't give it to me. And so then Judy finds Barry's note, and it says, Judy, I don't belong here. Well, I think that she's had it with her the whole time. Because, like, there's this panel. Oh, she's hol- she was holding it earlier. When- yeah. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, so she had been holding on to it for a while. And she says, neither do I. So that she- that's why she's been thinking about this. And Gene says, man, I don't want to hurt anybody. He was dead. It's the living you need to worry about. They're lying to themselves. They got to see. They got to look at the world and see what's there. And so Abe just walks off while Gene is saying all this. And so then we cut to Abe at night and he's listening to his radio again. So just like you said, Matt, this is probably that evening, right? Right. Yeah. And on the radio is Mandy. Ira, our usual announcer, didn't make it in. And so, you know, again, I was thinking about NPR or whatever. They have, like, you know, um, recurring hosts that fill in for Ira from time to time. And so, anyway, I thought that that was an interesting connection. Right around this time, there was an X-Men comic called X-Nations, and they also referenced Ira Glass and This American Life on one of their comics. I remember that happening. Anyway. And we see Gene, and he's quote-unquote preaching in front of the egg, and on the egg they've drawn that Abe Sapien symbol. He's saying that Abe gave him secrets. What'd you guys think of this? Weird dude. I, I just want to slap him in the face with a baseball bat. <laughs> so, just Abe walking around and trying to figure out what's going on, he's also creating something, too. There's, you know this kind of Abe cult. You know what I mean? You were joking around earlier, but like, here's a guy. No, people will take anything and run yeah. with it. I mean, yeah. what if, what if like another cult had met, uh, another group met like, um, yeah, the Liz cult. Yeah. And then they meet up. Are they going to fight? <laughs> yeah. You're going to have, are my That's God how religion fucking God? works. Yeah. That's yep. what happens. And then Liz and Abe would be like, you guys need to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to Utah and we see Strobel's carriage. Willis is driving the carriage, and Strobel's getting all the info from Vaughn. Earlier, he had asked him to tell him everything about the Fishman, and it sounds like here they're talking about what happened with the Black Flame at the end of the King of Fear. So it makes me think, was Vaughn there? He must have been there, right? Or I guess somebody could have told him. Well, he could have got a briefing. Oh, yeah. They were all yeah. rescued by Shancha and jumped in at the last minute and teleported them out of there, so... Um, he could have heard it from one of the survivors if he wasn't there. Vaughn's having trouble thinking straight. 
He's jumping all over the place, but he remembers that Liz destroyed Agartha and the Black Flame. She lit up the center of the world. That's what pushed these things out of the ground. It wasn't Abe. Liz started this, Vaughn says. He asks Strobel why he wants to know what's happening. Strobel says, The power that governs the world is changing. When he calls down to hell, there's no answer. The Black Flame was right. Your fishman is at the center of things. What that means, though, will take great effort to ascertain. Strobel thanks Vaughn and says he will leave him as he found him. So dead, basically, right? Vaughn asks if he even gets a choice. He didn't want to give Strobel all those details about A, but he couldn't stop. Strobel says, If you come, and it will be dangerous, there is a chance you can be restored to life, to true life. But on this path, if you come, I will have your full service. The end. Yeah, so this is kind of um, further setting up Strobel. What did you think about this? You know, now he's got Vaughn, and Vaughn can't really control himself around him. So, you know, what did you think about them kind of... I just think uh, this is interesting how they're bringing back Vaughn in this other capacity. He's like on the other side of it. Yeah. What do you think about that? I just want to see where it goes, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, is he going to say yes or is he going to say no? If he says no, if he says, I don't want to go with you, then he's dead. End of story. But if he says yes... Where would he go? Yeah. Well, what would he do? That's interesting. What did you think about that reveal that, you know, they're going to keep Vaughn alive and now he's going to be part of Strobel's crew like that that guy Will is? Yeah, I think that um, Strobel is disturbingly powerful and clearly using the power of hell, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Black, black arts, for sure. I mean, it opens with him trying to make contact with right. Satan. Right. You know? Well, and yeah. murdering and kidnapping children. Yeah. Yeah, and if he can he can do this to two guys, can he have more servants? Right. right. But it was almost like he did it just to get information out of him, and now he's going to keep him, and he keeps calling him a soldier. Right. Yeah. Right? So I think he has, you know, a driver. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Like, uh, and like a bodyguard now. Right, you know? right. Yeah, good point. And I think that just kind of suits him to have servants. Sure. Because... His whole thing was he wanted to be running the show. Yeah. Yeah. But so on the one hand, he's kind of pathetic. I mean, he he says the black flame was right, which is pretty pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) But then he's like, you know, he has this kind of artificial environment, right? It's like manufactured, like he's in a chariot. He's got, you know, people working for him. But what's he doing? What's he up to? Right. Right. Uh, So aesthetic stuff aside he's a disturbing character yeah uh, worth keeping an eye on i mean for sure he's up to he's up to absolutely no good <laughs> and he's out he's after abe yeah so they're they're setting him up pretty well for this series he's up to absolutely no good yeah that's a good one yeah and so now we're looking at page 368 on the omnibus version and here we kind of see Mignola's version for the Abe symbol. And it's kind of like this hand. It's holding an egg and the egg is cracking open and there's like stuff coming out of it. That's a it lot like a, to like draw. A, like a person in a flame. Yeah. And there's like a person in the flame too. So, I mean, we see kind of Mignola's ideas about that. And on the next page, we see... Going with a more simple sigil. Yeah, this is uh, Max yeah. Fumara's sketches. And so it's really cool to see all the different versions of this. It's so weird that there's so many different versions because the one that they picked the is the one I couldn't believe nobody started with. Right. Well, that's yeah. you don't just come up with a good idea. Like it has to be. This is this is what I always try to tell people too is that 
when I show a new piece or something of art or whatever, and somebody says that they they like it or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, this is it's so it's so easy for you. I wish I could do art. I'm whatever." And it's like, what you're not seeing is behind me. There's a fucking pile of ten million failed drawings, paintings, whatever the fuck it is, screen prints, whatever it is that I did is. It's not just the art that's in front of you. It's the years of of fucking failed, fucked up shit that you did on the way there. So it's a it's an oh, ongoing process. Right. It's always going to be a journey. So like people don't just come up with like the original fucking Hellboy drawing looks nothing well, like the one that we've got now. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, I well, no, I mean, I get that completely. What I was saying is just like you know, it, it's like it took all these different tries to get to that final one yeah, yeah exactly and so it's just like it's all like oh my god you know you know when you get to that final one and everything just clicks and you're like oh. yeah. yeah sure it's just like uh you know this this page full of doodles i think is representative of pretty much every creative process is you're gonna have a bunch of nopes on the floor until you finally carved out that yes and that's what people see they don't see the big pile of you know the on your way on your way there, what you ended up coming up with. I like this little one that looks like it has arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some that kind of look like frogs in there too, which I think is an, an yeah. interesting take. Max Fumara says, "Abe's one of the most difficult challenges I've faced in my career. Working on the same project with Seba made it easier for us to chat a lot about how to approach this character." We had a drawing of Abe's new look done by Mike, and of course, we wanted to try and replicate the same design in our own styles. That was damned hard. As I write this, I'm working on my third issue of the series, and I can't say I'm comfortable with the way I draw him yet, but I know I'm getting somewhere. And we see kind of an evolution of Max Fumara's designs of Abe, and um, we see a bunch of the monsters and also Von Strobel. We see the three characters, Gene, Judy, and Barry. And we also see his work on doing some of the covers. So I don't know if I mentioned that uh, Max Fumara did some of the covers for this series. And so I want to talk about this one. It's actually on the next page in the omnibus. I think this is issue three. Since the story was about the new race of men, I wanted to play with that and portray Abe as the next step of the evolutionary chain, so I used a particular way of inking him to separate him from the rest of the image. And so when you look at it, it's got the egg, and then it's got Abe in the middle, but the way that he's shaded... Is that the cover of issue three, Matt? Oh, no, I have that as issue four, but uh, yes. Oh, that's issue four, right, yeah. Yeah, So totally black and white. Yeah, that's the one that uh, Max is talking about here. And so I really like how he used those two different styles to kind of separate that. Really cool. I mean, he determined the entire... I mean, his brother has a lot to, to do with it, but this is a weird series to me. Like, this doesn't feel like a lot of other comic books, but it does feel fully realized. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear him say that he's working on which issue did he say he was on where he still didn't feel like he was comfortable with how he was drawing Abe. He said he was three issues in my third issue on the series. So by issue six, I guess you wouldn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking that. Yeah, it's really amazing. And so, yeah, you know, hopefully not too much of a spoiler. We'll be getting some more Max Fumara on this book as we go along. I'm honestly starting to prefer this version of Abe. Yeah, yeah. It's no. so weird. It's so weird. And yeah, like like Matt was saying, there is. Uh, it's interesting how they can come up with another flavor. 
You know, you've got BPRD, you've got Hellboy, you've got Witchfinder, you've got Lobster Johnson, and then they even turn it a they have another take on it for Abe, which I think is also interesting and it's it's its own kind of thing. I like it. Yeah. They really nailed it with this series. I'll I'll just here's the spoiler. I love the Abe Sapien series all the way through. That's a great spoiler. That's a great way to spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, uh, I saw you looking at this Aubrey. I had to find it. There's a Sebastian Fumara did a, a sketch of Hellboy and Abe and then the Wendigos behind them. And it's kind of reminiscent of that mission where they first met the Wendigo, um, Daryl, which I think is, is really cool. I guess it's a variant cover for issue four. I don't have this one. He says, this is my humble homage to Daryl and to John Arcudi. I admire them both. So I have to post that one online for you guys to check out. You know what's interesting about Abe Zapian is, like, I'll read one issue of BPRD and have three pages of notes. Right. Uh, because of all the stuff tying in and all the, the meaning uh-huh. to everything, to every little thing. But with Abe, it's fresh kind of cool so when i was reading these i was like well, i have i i actually wrote like issue three no notes right <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and that just means there's a lot of new stuff here uh, right. of course i have thoughts on the issue so you know i went back and made a bunch of notes but but this series really is fresh i i dig it man i think that's why i liked it so much because it just felt like you weren't getting another title just for the heck of it right right they're not yeah. they're not just trying to make money off us you know, they they wanted to branch out. They wanted to do new stuff, stretch their creative muscles. And, and I, that's why I think they nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice because they had a um, the comic came out because they had a story to tell, not because yeah. they wanted to sell you a comic. They sure. have, they really have like something that. to say. They're not just filling time and space and meeting a quota or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Right. Right. They're not just not- uh, trying to maximize profits for their corporation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like hell on earth. It's not an event like the way other publishers do events. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's something oh, right, that's happening yeah. across titles, but it's not like, okay, you're going to have to get all 78 different titles sure. to understand what's going on at all. Right. Right. And I'm not so. entirely convinced that they started out with like, okay, here's what we're going to do to try and get people to buy more books. We're going to make sure that we do this wild event where we've got... 12 different titles and in order to know what's going on in the story you need to get all of them and then there's going to be this big broad overreaching one that we're going to sell a special edition of the you know and it's so it's like they really do want to tell these stories i feel like it's i get the feeling that it's more of a like oh wouldn't it be cool right. if we could yeah tell this story while this is going on i think that would really enhance yeah. it and yeah you know i don't know maybe i'm just being naive but i really do feel like that's more of what's going on is right. like, like aubrey said they're trying to tell a good story yeah yeah they they realized they needed an entirely new series mm-hmm. for abe and if you yeah. think about it if if he came back you know he's out of the tank he's awake in bprd then it becomes like a competition right it's like which character gets the spotlight now yeah. how are we gonna right. keep yeah. juggling yeah. all these instead of cramming it all in there yeah or doing it right a little bit yeah 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 i really like that we'll get some more you know we're, we're gonna get some more abe saping as we go along and so yeah just um it's been a great ride for a year and we're gonna keep making podcasts we're gonna still do, be doing our book club and hopefully you guys will keep writing in and can't wait to keep doing it so now aubrey's gonna say all the things a year of saying all the things aubrey a year of saying all the things <laughs> 
a whole year asking you to tell me your thoughts on our different stories. And this time, I want you to tell me your thoughts on A New Race of Man. You can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can find the Discord link in the reading order on our Facebook page. And also be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com for all the great things they do over there. And always a thank you to Paul from Garterharn for the wonderful theme song. We love it. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we are going to be talking the BPRD Hell on Earth Lake of Fire. So pull out your back issues, grab yourself a thermal uh, suit because we're going to be in a lake of fire. <laughs> And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening for a year, everybody. My name's John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, it's all alien to me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the year, guys. <laughs> all right. That was great. We did it. Man, I'm really sorry, guys. I know we're taking a lot of breaks. I have to pee really bad, though. That's okay. A lot of water, so let's take a quick break while I run to the restroom. Well, I mean, this is the, the double episode thing, yeah. so it's all good. I'm going to stand up for a second. Yeah, go for it, man. Hey, uh, Aubrey, how did you successfully quit smoking cigarettes? Yes. High five. Great. Thank you. Congrats. It's two months and 13 days. So proud of you, man. That's really wow. tough. That's so tough. Yeah. Uh, I smoked. Did I ever tell you I used to smoke? No. From, from 13 to 23. Oh, jeez. And... I quit by getting pneumonia. <laughs> Ooh. That'll do yeah. it. And I, I was able to, like, kind of wean myself off because I couldn't breathe anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it wasn't easy. Well, I started smoking when I was 16, um, and then I quit when I was 30. When I got, I got the flu really bad. I couldn't get out of bed for a week, and everybody I knew was quitting at the time, so I quit. And then five years later... Start it up again. Ah, uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, well, it was a dumb thing. It was just like I always like when I quit the first time. I was like, uh, I was like, well, I'll, I'll have to go at least five years before I have another cigarette. And then five years later, I had another cigarette, and here we are, nine years later. Yeah. Wow. Well, good for you though. Yeah, but good for you. Thank man. you, and also good for you, Matt. That's good too. Yeah. Um, I did start off though by using a um, electric cigarette for about a few a couple weeks. Sure. Um, did that help or hinder or didn't make a difference? I think it helped, but it was gonna. It's it was starting to turn into a hinder. So you're doing this now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then so one day I ran out of it, and it was like ten o'clock at night. And of course, I'm not gonna go out and buy another right. one. I just didn't get one the next day. Good job. And that was in June. So really proud of you. Yeah. And it's so it's so much better for your health. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I know that a lot of that is psychological, and so it's like, you know, after all the, even after all the physical whatever symptoms fade, you're still dealing with that psychological thing. Oh, know? yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I'll, talk, I'll be talking to Kathy, and sometimes I'll be like, you know, man, I wish I had a cigarette right now. But I don't really want right, one. Right, 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 right. But it's more like, you I know, like, you. I was like, sometimes I want one. Yeah. But right. I don't. People talk about addiction as if it's like a moral failing, but it's A, chemical, and B psychological so it's like this so they're two of the literally the most difficult things to try and yeah. get control of in well, any way i mean any biologically it, speaking it's a behavior yeah it's a learned exactly. behavior, and to change any behavior it has to be changed gradually but some of that is like you know we still don't know how brains even fucking work 
yeah at all so that's (laughs) right good for you good for you two for being able to somehow manage to get ahead of that let's uh i'm gonna we're doing friendship here i know but i'm gonna continue on with (laughs) well all right then we do friendship all throughout danielle it's all (laughs) sprinkled throughout all the friendship goes all around 